2: For people with disabilities, technology makes things possible. IBM Training Manual, 1991. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airways as an outreach service of the Be The Story charity, a top nonprofit profit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. profits for today's show, Be the Story You Are wants to thank everyone who has volunteered and supported BTSYA over the years. We are thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate being a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit www.btsya.org. That's www.btsya.org. Every dollar counts, and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. Make sure to listen to Express Yourself wherever you listen to radio or music iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel on Voice America Radio, the largest radio network in the world. Salutations! I'm Kirthi, your host for today's show. And I'm here with my co-host, Julia. So today's show is all about our disabilities and assistive devices. Next up, we'll welcome our new host, Julia, in our first segment. Oh yes, that's right. There's another one. Sorry, I'm being weird as I always am. In segment two, we will be having a guest, Robert Chong, come to speak to us about his research on assistive devices for low vision individuals. In segment three, I will be here with my segment, Nerd Extraordinaire. But right now, let's give a warm welcome to Julia, her first time hosting.
3: Thank you so much, Kirithi. I'm beyond excited to meet the Nerd Extraordinaire and join the team of amazing hosts. Take it away, Julia. Hello, hello, it's Julia back with my segment, Passion in Action. And today I'm gonna talk about how some innovative assistive devices can help you learn and how you can create your own through the power of passion, innovation, and entrepreneurship. When I say assistive device, you might think of some fancy high-tech gadgets straight out of a sci-fi movie. But guess what? These tools are more common than you think. And you might even see some of these innovations every day in your classroom. Picture this, it's history class, and your teacher asks you to flip to page 375 and read about ancient China. You open your textbook, but you're facing a mountain of text longer than the great wall. We've all been there, right? Every student learns differently, and that's why our awesome assistive devices come to the rescue. Some of us love diving into a good book, while others prefer acting out history like a play. Well, others find it more helpful to listen to the words while reading them on the page like those with certain learning differences or people who have trouble reading. That's where the magic begins. These devices can transform that boring text into captivating audio, bringing your textbooks and articles to life. Imagine being able to just shut your eyes and dive into the mystical realm of the internet with just a tap. Your smartphone and tablet already come with this incredible text-to-speech feature. And that's not all. Many eBooks now have audio files giving you the ultimate power to listen and learn on the go. And for those learners that struggle with writing or taking notes during class, we have an audio recorder. So an amazing little device that captures every word your teacher says in class. And with just a simple click, you can listen to it again at home, making learning easy and fun. So on the flip side, what about students who have trouble processing audio? That's where the FN Listening System comes in, also known as the Frequency Modulation System. It's an assistive listening device used to enhance sound transmission from a speaker to a listener, especially in noisy or challenging listening environments. So they reduce background noise, help students with auditory processing disorders, and support language development. Um, They usually consist of two main parts, a transmitter and a receiver. So here's how it works. The transmitter is on the teacher or the speaker. They wear a small microphone that is connected to the transmitter. The student, who may have hearing difficulties or challenges with auditory processing, wears the receiver. They're powerful tools that help bridge the gap between speakers and listeners, allowing students with hearing or auditory challenges to fully engage in their learning experiences and interact effectively in various social and academic settings. So what's next? Let's look around the classroom again. Maybe what we're sitting on right now. Yes, seat cushions can also be considered an assistive device. Sitting at a stiff desk chair can be tough for kids who struggle with sensory processing or have difficulty staying focused. Adding cushions makes the classroom cozy. And the magic doesn't end there. How about a standing desk, a slanted cushion, or even a balance ball chair? The last one has become super popular recently. These yoga ball chairs have this inflatable exercise ball as a seat, often placed in a sturdy base with back support or even on a special frame to keep it stable. The concept behind using stability ball chairs in the classroom is to promote active sitting and engage your core muscles, which can help improve posture, balance, and focus. The bouncing and subtle movements allowed by the stability ball chair can provide sensory input and help children with attention difficulties or sensory processing challenges. It lets them stay more alert and more focused during class. Also, the dynamic seating encourages better body awareness and can help reduce restlessness and fidgeting, creating a more conducive learning environment for all students. In the end, all of us deserve the right to learn. And entrepreneurs and innovators around the globe are making that possible for everyone. Whether you're an 8-year-old or a 15-year-old or adult, you could start developing your own devices right now. Take Max Ash. He's a f- creative and fun-loving individual behind Max Is Creations, and his ingenious invention is the mug with a hoop. As a teenager, Max has already achieved remarkable success with his Play With Your Food sports mugs, selling over 140 thousand of them worldwide, but let's rewind a bit to discover how this fantastic idea came to be. So, it's second grade art class, young Max has a lightbulb moment. He loves sports and hot chocolate, and one day, while sipping on his favorite warm beverage, he thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could shoot marshmallows into my cocoa like a basketball pro? And there it was. That was his spark that ignited his creativity, a basketball hoop on a mug. Max's parents were quick to re- recognize the brilliance of his idea and they supported him in taking it to the next level. They encouraged him to present his unique I- idea at a product innovation contest held at none other than the iconic Fenway Park in Boston. The excitement was palpable as Max pitched his idea, and to everyone's delight, he won the community vote. And that's how Mug with a Hoop was born. Here's another thing about Max he has dyslexia. That's a learning disorder that involves difficulty reading due to problems identifying speech sounds and learning how they relate to letters and words. But Max embraces his learning difference with pride. He sees it as a gift that allowed him to come up with ideas no one else had thought of before. Max often talks about how he sees the world from a different perspective, which leads to fresh, innovative ideas like the mug with a hoof. But Max's creativity doesn't stop with a mug. He's determined to use his success to raise awareness and support for the one in five kids in the U.S. who, like him, think and learn differently due to dyslexia. With his infectious enthusiasm, Max has already donated over $60,000 to dyslexia charities like Understood.org, making the difference in so many lives. So, next time you sip hot chocolate, grab a marshmallow and aim for that mug with a hoop because Max's creative genius is here to make every hot cocoa cup a slam dunk. So like Max, you can start as early as second grade making your own assistive device. If you want help generating ideas, I would start by thinking of something hard or just inconvenient in your own life. Let's say you struggle with keeping your workspace organized and it often leads to decreased productivity. Now we can embark on a journey of innovation to find a solution that not only addresses a specific issue, but also revolutionizes the way people organize their workspaces. The key to becoming a true innovator is to think outside the box. Instead of just looking at existing organizational tools, consider finding an intersection between different technologies or concepts that haven't really been combined before. Maybe you can blend the convenience of augmented reality with the practicality of traditional organizers to create a cutting-edge workspace management system. Or maybe an alternative approach. You could look at an existing device like a regular desk and figure out what makes it um, not 100% great. What improvements can you make to tailor it more specifically to your life? Maybe you integrate smart sensors that automatically rearrange your station based on your work patterns or developing an adjustable design that caters to your individual preferences. But remember, true innovation will cause perseverance and passion. It may not happen overnight, but don't be discouraged. Every time you try an idea and fail, it brings you closer to that groundbreaking solution. You have the power to shape the future and make a difference in people's lives. So dream big, think boldly, and let your creativity guide you on this exciting journey. Be an innovator, ignite change, and together we can transform the world for the better.
2: Thank you so much, Julia, for that amazing segment. I definitely learned a lot, and I never heard of the mug with a hoop, but I'm thinking of checking it out now. Make sure you guys stay tuned for our next segment where Julia and I will be talking to Robert Chong. We want to hear your thoughts and we want to answer your questions. So email us at info at be dot org. That's info at be the Check out our radio site at www.expressyourselfteenradio.com dot com and our creative community site at ww.bethestore dot org. You can get involved with Be the Story Oil Charity, buy books and t shirts in our store, sign up for our free newsletter and make a donation to be the story.
4: Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
1: Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time
5: on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. us at bethestarurradio.com and the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
4: Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you.
0: You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens.
2: Hello, and welcome back to Express Yourself. I'm your host, Julia. And I'm your other host, Qubely. In today's show, we're exploring how assistive devices are changing the world. And right now, we have Robert Chong. Robert
3: Chong is a 17-year-old rising senior at Shanghai American School in Shanghai, China. His interests lie in VEX Robotics, competitive public speaking, and history. Specifically, he's interested in how engineering and design can be used to improve the lives of the individuals with disabilities. In the summer of 2022, along with mentor Elizabeth Bianchini, Robert wrote a review paper on the different assistive devices for low vision individuals. His paper has been published in the Curio Academic Journal. This summer, Robert is currently interning at Fourier Intelligence, a Chinese company specialized in the field of rehabilitative robotics. During his free time, Robert loves playing tennis, basketball and soccer with his friends and also taking a walk outside in his neighborhood.
2: Robert's paper includes a description of low vision and 11 current state-of-the-art assistive devices for individuals with low vision, followed by an analysis of all 11 devices using metrics such as weight, cost, user base, social implications, etc. Then he concludes the paper by comparing all assistive devices and illustrating areas where devices could be improved on in future iterations to enhance user experience. There are three important findings in this paper. Firstly, all assistive devices attempted to aid individuals either through enhancing their abilities to complete specific tasks or the daily tasks in general. Secondly, factors like high costs hinder accessibility. Lastly, apart from device functionality, social implications such as social acceptance also affect user experience. As you guys can probably tell, this is going to be one interesting segment about Robert's fascinating research. Welcome to the show, Robert.
6: Hi, thank you so much. Thank you all so much for the wonderful introduction, and I'm really happy to be here to share some of my research and then hope you guys all learn a little bit more about assistive technologies and how they can impact individuals with disabilities, which I think are a pretty important group in our society today, considering how they might face, face a lot of difficulties and face a lot of um, maybe um, systemic structures where they're very hard. It might be very hard for them to access certain things in society. So I'm really excited to talk about these things today.
3: Yeah, and we're so excited to talk to you. I mean, I read your research, and it's so interesting. I was wondering, what motivated you to choose a specific topic, um, assisted devices for low vision
6: individuals? Yeah, so I think there are actually two reasons. The first one is, um, uh, so a few years back, I had this great opportunity to um, go visit a hospital. And there I met a pretty good friend. Um, his name is Tianbao, and he's a Shanghai resident. And he was um a blind person and he told me about how um he loves going to the gym which I, I love going to the gym too so there's a common interest there and then we talked about going to the gym and he said how uh, because he was blind it was very hard for him to you know access the gym nearby because it was hard for them to take you know use the bus and it was very hard for him to use the equipment because of how he was blind and then that kind of sparked my interest in terms of learning more about these uh, the lives that these people live and how potentially we can Um, create these assistive devices to help them better access things like, let's say for Tianbao going to the gym or even access very basic things like, um, let's say, go shopping or all these daily activities that we kind of uh, take for granted. But for them, it's uh, very hard opportunities because because of how they're blind. So I really want to learn more about how there are tools available currently and how we can develop these tools for these uh, blind individuals or individuals with low vision. And then, yeah, so that's basically the first reason and the second reason is that I have been I have been doing a lot of research with individuals with disabilities for quite some time, and um, especially low vision and blindness has something that has been uh, has stuck with me because of how important vision is in our world, right? Because of how all of these beautiful things that we see in this world, and for someone who is blind who has low vision, they cannot access these things and they cannot see these things that we see, and it's it's something that um, I found that it's quite it's quite sad that individuals like that cannot access cannot see. These beautiful things that we see in the world so i want to definitely to do i want to do some more research in terms of figure out how we can create these tools to help them see again and help them enjoy the wonderful visuals that we have around us
2: that's awesome i love how you acknowledge that people with disabilities actually have their own lives and the human beings and they deserve to experience the same things that we do so them not being able to see is something that really can hinder their daily life for so, sure We all know that there's a lot of assistive technology out there. So how did you go about selecting the 11 assistive devices to review? And what was the criteria for selecting them?
6: For sure. Um, So uh, when I was doing my research, I stuck with a platform called Google Scholar. So that's where I found all the assistive devices. So basically, I went to I went on Google Scholar and I searched on different academic journals, academic publications. From um, either universities or researchers from worldwide, usually it is from these researchers from from um, either university research projects. You will see very interesting and new devices and uh, new technologies being developed and being and their discoveries being put into research papers in the format of research papers, where we can go into these research papers and see how what what the researchers are doing or some of the conclusions of their work in terms of what the devices they have created or what, the, what different, the different technologies they have found, what they can do for individuals who are blind or, or low vision individuals. So that's one way, um, kind of one um, kind of resource I looked at in terms of um, finding these 11 devices. Another way was just to look at some of the devices currently on the market, because there are a lot of mar- uh, current devices that are sold to uh, blind uh, patients who are blind or individuals with low vision, specifically catering to that population, whether it's sold from hospitals or sold from um, commercial suppliers; they usually have these products available to um, to these individuals uh, currently. So I will go about and um, search 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 for for these uh, devices currently. And another interesting tool I actually used was uh, a GBT. So AI, as uh, as you guys might know, is something that has been uh, pretty popular. And actually, I was able to use that and prompt it and use it to find some resources regarding these devices. So I actually. ChatGPT has been a really interesting resource that I've, I've been able to use. So yeah, so these are the kind of the three main resources I've been using, and basically using I I guess I I guess specifically for the first one, the Google Scholar one for research papers. I guess um, by looking at research papers, I was able to be sure that these are valid products and these are valid devices that are uh, kind of justified by scientific research and rigorous. Testing. So, I was able to be sure that these are products that are valid and that are able to be uh, used to benefit these individuals with blindness. So, yeah, so these are kind of the resources and criteria that you use when selecting these devices for research.
3: Yeah, I think it's so interesting to hear about your kind of research methodologies, especially because you are a high school in research. And that's just really inspiring for any other um, aspiring researchers out there. Um, I also think the AI thing is really fascinating. I mean, AI is getting more and more involved with every aspect of our lives, and it's interesting to hear how it can be used as a tool for research. Um, yeah. The thing I was wondering was, of the 11 devices you reviewed in your paper, you had all this like interesting um, analyzing methods, but is there one particular that you think is the most promising or the most effective, and why do you think so?
6: Mm, yeah, sure. Um, so. Out of all the 11 devices that I um, analyzed and I took a look at, I think all of them are pretty promising in terms of what they can do for individuals with, um, uh, with blindness or individuals with low vision, whether it be um, visually stimulating, so it, whether it be enhancing different visual features. So there was this one cool one that I found where um, individuals with low vision, so low vision means that you have visual impairment, but you will still have some vision remaining, so you're not completely blind. But, but your your vision is impaired to, to a certain extent. And for these people, it's very interesting how you can use headsets. So if you guys know about um, like VR or AR headsets, so these cool, like, for example, the Oculus Rift headsets, where you will put it on. And like like that new Apple Vision Pro headsets, if you guys heard, heard of that, which is a quite a popular product recently. So you will put it on your head, and there will be a screen that will be projected into your eyes, and you can see different visuals in an enhanced way. And researchers and different um, university students have used that tool to their advantage when when it comes to developing these specific technologies and tools for individuals with disabilities. And I found that specific use of these headsets are quite compelling and um, I think quite promising for the future considering how, given the new release of Apple's Vision Pro devices, it's gonna be a huge trend of using, uh, further developing these headsets and using these headsets more frequently in our daily lives and especially with the things that it can do, right? It can, uh, let's say, project different things onto a screen on t- directly onto your eyes. So it makes it much more easier for, let's say, individuals of low vision. So for example, I found this really cool one where you can wear a headset. And when you go shopping, they can actually highlight different things. You can enter the things that you want to buy within like a supermarket or a store. And then there will be an algorithm within that headset that'll help you detect that specific item in the store shelves and it'll actually help you highlight it. So for individuals with low vision, so they can still see a little bit, but their vision is a little bit impaired. So it'll help you highlight the item and in, through through different visual cues that help you see, uh, like specifically target that specific item you want to buy. So it'll help these individuals with low vision target the items that they want to buy in the supermarket and help them locate these items. So it'll be much more convenient for them when they're shopping. So I feel like specifically the devices that use these headsets and these VR or AR headsets are quite promising. And I feel like, definitely be an uh, area of interest and uh, something I'll definitely want to look into in the future when these headsets are being further developed because currently they are, they are quite developed and there are many products for them in the, in the market currently but there's definitely like room for improvement in terms of the technology and there's a lot of researchers working on that so that's definitely an area for promise I think.
2: That is so cool like I never knew that real headsets could just do so many things like you know, via headsets in our daily life. You know, we use them to play games. Like maybe yeah. simulate that we're in some magical fairyland with dragons and monsters. But like yeah. the fact that it can actually be useful and actually make make some things possible. Like make blind people able to have some idea of like what they're seeing like I feel like that is so revolutionary like that's kind of like life changing for blind people all around the world that technologies like this are being developed and it also shows us like how far the technology is getting and how how far technology is doing good and how it's changing our lives so sure we've been talking about good parts of these devices, right? But what are some of the limitations or downsides of the current non-magnifying assistive devices for low vision?
6: Yeah. Um, And although I just talked a lot about how they're good and how they can potentially be developed further to further benefit those who are blind and also those who have low vision. But I feel like during my research, I definitely did find some pitfalls or some areas of improvement that I've identified. Um, they're not very technical-wise. Um, I didn't quite delve into like the technical details and aspects of these devices and identify maybe areas of improvement or pitfalls in them. I tried to look at maybe how um, individuals with low vision or people who are blind might interact with these devices and what might be some pitfalls in the areas. And some some of the areas I found were quite simple, right? So for instance, the first one, the most important one, might be cost. And I think many, of, many people when analyzing these devices might ignore that. But fundamentally, even if this device might be really, really good, right, it can help people who are blind completely regain their vision again and be able to help them see these things. If it's really expensive, for instance, if it's like $10,000 or if it's like twenty dollars to $50,000, which some of the devices that I analyzed did have a price tag that was in a similar range of that, um, even if it is that revolutionary for many individuals who are blind who have low vision, didn't really have that many chances to engage in, um, engage in the workforce because it is quite sad that there are the people who are often discriminated against when it comes to entering the workforce. They necessarily don't have the economic capabilities, for instance, to maybe to buy these devices or to actually have meaningful connections with these devices. So even if they manage to buy that device, it might come at a huge cost and a huge burden for them in a way that it might not be too meaningful uh, if, if that does happen. So I think cost was definitely something that I, I was I, I was able to identify as something that could be an improvement because of how many of these devices are relatively new and they use cutting edge technologies like VR or AR headsets. I think that's the primary reason why they can be quite costly. And even if they have these great effects, I think cost is definitely something that could be weighed up as a potential harm. And but I feel like I'm 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 quite confident. I'm quite um I feel like the cost is going to decrease over time. If we have more of these products in the market competing against each other, I feel like the price is naturally going to decrease. And so I think price is a concern today, but it might not be a concern in the future. A second one might be um, also quite intuitive, quite simple, but it's also maybe easy to ignore, which might be the size or the weight of the device. Because considering how this is like a head mounted device, right? So you're putting onto your head. I think comfort also matters a lot because for many of these low-vision individuals, if they're going to wear it for an entire day, many of these devices are quite heavy. So if, if they were to wear it onto their heads and wear for a prolonged period of time, that might be actually quite uncomfortable for them, right? If, if they were to wear it for such long periods of time, it could cause things like neck pain or could cause things like uh, uh, neck muscle strain. So that's something that definitely products can look into in terms of decreasing the weight of the device and ensuring that when users use that, they're actually feeling the maximum comfort and they're not feeling that this device is too heavy for them to wear. And maybe lastly, just briefly, I feel like in terms of accessibility too, just beyond cost, I feel like another layer of accessibility would be um, in terms of accessing different regions because for many of the products or devices that I've found currently um, that are sold to the market currently, many of them are based in regions like the United States or Canada where where these regions are quite... um, economically developed, but for regions like um many regions like in Asia or in regions like um in Africa or South America where countries might not be too economically developed. I feel like many of these products or companies have not had the chance to develop in these areas yet. So for potentially a blind person living in these areas that are not in the United States or Canada. Or for individuals with low vision living in these areas, it might be very hard for them to access these products and devices because they are currently being exclusively sold in areas like the United States and Canada, whereas these countries are more economically developed, and there's maybe uh, these companies are there are more companies that are based in these regions because of how um, standard standard living in general is higher there. But I feel like accessibility is still going to be a problem in terms of reaching reaching to these regions where there might be more individuals with blindness or individuals with low vision or individuals who actually need it the most. So I feel like accessibility is still a concern today. I feel like accessibility is a concern not just for, like let's say, assistive technologies, but for a lot of the cutting-edge technologies that we have currently. So that's definitely a problem that um, we need to focus on, not just on focus on making a like, kind of making the technical details better but considering factors like cost or comfort or accessibility i feel like these things are as equally as important as ensuring that these devices can help these patients um, regain their vision or enhance their vision in different ways but yeah these are the probably the three main concerns that i've had
3: yeah so what i'm hearing a lot is a lot of technologies kind of face an accessibility issue um and i love how you kind of emphasized how there is real importance in how low vision individuals will actually interact with the technology as like groundbreaking and fascinating as it is. Um, And it was interesting thinking about the size and the weight and how that might affect just daily use and comfort, which is something I hadn't really thought of before. Um, While you were doing your research, did you discover any like recommendations or strategies to kind of improving accessibility? I know there are a bunch of different factors that go into that, or yeah. do you have your own recommendations?
6: Mm, yeah, I feel like um definitely I feel like in terms of wider uh, public policy, I feel like governments and hospitals, especially governments, I think they can uh, put more investment into in, into hospitals and adopting these kind of assistive technologies in terms of because that's where many of the patients who have low vision or have blindness are going to be so it would be great if hospitals can provide these um um, cheaper cheaper um cheaper products or um cheaper like i guess solutions in general that contain these assistive technologies to their patients that is um, subsidized by the government to ensure that it can be affordable and it can be accessible for these individuals with low vision or blindness so i think that might be a potential way for the government to kind of um, emphasize the importance of these technologies and actually um, put in these monetary efforts in order to ensure that they're accessible by individuals on the ground. And I feel like maybe that's like a very broad or general kind of, that might be a little bit harder to achieve. But I feel like in general, I feel like another factor uh, that each and every one of us can do is in terms of societal acceptance. I feel like that's another big factor that I found in my research many individuals currently many low vision individuals or blind individuals don't really feel like they are comfortable wearing these big head-mounted devices because that they feel like that can hinder social interaction because if they feel like they wear that big bulky thing and walk around in the street for instance that might be something that may be socially uncomfortable they feel like people are going to look at them weirdly it might be for example if you're a student you're a student who has low vision or or is blind and you're wearing that big bulky head-mounted device around might not be very, again, socially comfortable for you in terms of um, you know, how the way your classmates look at you and the, in, the, in the ways that these people might perceive you, right? So I feel like in terms of what we can do is to make it socially inclusive to ensure that we are accepting these people when they're using these assistive technologies. I think that's an important factor that many actually people who tested out, many low vision individuals who test out these devices has, um, uh, ha- has commented on is the social acceptance Of these advices which i think that all of us um individuals who don't have low vision who don't have blindness can work towards in terms of improving that social acceptance for these people so yeah i think these are maybe two general directions one is a more broader one that it might be a hard a little bit harder to influence but second one a second direction is something that we all can work towards and it doesn't really take that much effort i think
2: I feel like those are all such valid concerns like especially like the socially uh, social interactions like I feel like that's something a lot of children with disabilities go go through like maybe if they go to school yeah. and they're sitting in the classroom and like no one else is wearing this giant this giant VR headset they're the yeah. ones, so they feel like they feel like an outcast and students also treat them like that that's something really sad. But a lot of students find that as something to tease that person about or like bully mm-hmm. that person about no, yeah. absolutely not because they were just born with different abilities, they were born with a disability that they can't control, so you shouldn't have you shouldn't make them feel bad about it but yeah. that's that's how life is, and I feel like that's such a valid concern that not a lot of people think of, so we're hearing a lot of interesting stuff happening here in your research paper. So what did you personally find most interesting or surprising in your research?
6: Mm, yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like definitely that last part about what, what I just talked about in terms of social acceptance, that was definitely something I did not think about. Yeah, like what you said, that's something that we might not really consider. We just think that, oh, you put it on. You know, you're going to see these things, it's going to enhance your vision and life's going to be great. But that's not really the reality. And a really interesting part, um, I feel like a specific paper that I read was really interesting in terms of highlighting the nuances of these social interactions. Um, There was one um, talking about a, a person with low vision that's actually a salesperson. And he talked about how when he wore these VR glasses or these headsets to see his customers better, Um, It was actually worse in terms of actually getting that trust in and getting that customer to possibly trust whatever he was selling when there was a face-to-face conversation because he said that the customers couldn't see his eyes. So they were able to trust him in that way. So that was really, really interesting because I never really thought about how these, you know, these small interactions or these small ways that we might change someone's appearance or someone's interactions with others might change that way, change the way where, um, they they might interact with other individuals, and that that was definitely an impact that never, I would I would really never think of and it, it is then it really highlights the importance of actually letting these individuals of low vision test out these devices and use them in daily lives and use them as uh, let them test out these devices and to actually think about how these individuals will interact with these devices when designing these devices in the first place. I feel like that's particularly important. And when we do have that consideration, when we do have that um, that mindset in place, I feel like many of the problems that surround the usage of these devices might be eliminated. So definitely, again, that social implications and these social interactions is definitely a very interesting point that I found in my research and probably is the most intriguing part.
3: Yeah. What's so interesting about what you're saying to me is just this idea of how they would use this technology in their daily life and all those small interactions and the implicit bias um, from the way other people perceive the technology they're using. And that's really interesting thinking about how that's also a factor, like how do other people perceive the devices, not just yeah. the user? Um, well, you kind of touched on this already, but what are some key factors that you think determine whether an assistive device is accessible and useful? And I know this was like the bulk of your research. So mm-hmm. I'm interested.
6: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so in terms of whether if it's accessible or whether if it's something that can actually be used by these users, I think it goes back to things like, again, like the cost. And also, I think another interesting point is that um, in terms of how it, like, how it can be customized, because I feel like a lot of these devices, they only serve a singular function. So for example, the example that I gave um in terms of shopping, right? You can use this device and this algorithm to help you shop better, but uh, but like for someone who has low vision, their lives are multifaceted, right? They don't just do things like shopping; they also do things like cooking, or they want to drive, or they want to take their child off for, uh, out for a walk. So, a very important asset of like aspect of these devices to make sure that they're cu- they're customizable and customizable in a way that they're applicable in different settings and different situations to ensure that individuals when trying to buy these devices, they're able to find a solution that is comprehensive enough so that even though there might be issues like cost or weight or the societal implications, at least we have a product or a device that is comprehensible enough in order to solve their issues, most of the issues in their daily lives that they're currently facing, in order to be a trade off that is worth it, right? So the ability to have that customization, I feel like is an important aspect for these, in, for these individuals when it comes to accessibility. And again, I think, again, it comes, like, when directly talking about accessibility, I think it comes down, again, to things like costs, terms of the regions that you're living. But, yeah, I feel like, again, these are things that can be improved on. But customization is also an important aspect of that.
2: Wow. I feel like your research is so fascinating that, like, like every every single aspect of it, I feel like it's, you view, different things from different perspectives. You view these assistive devices from different perspectives. And I feel like that's so interesting how you explain to us about these assistive devices. So how exactly do you evaluate the cost effectiveness of these devices or like, what is your sort of cost effectiveness analysis of these devices?
6: Yeah, so at the start, it's kind of hard to determine if something is costly or not, because you don't really have a comparison point, right? So if, for instance, if you look at something that is like $5,000 at first, you might think, oh, maybe that's okay. That's not too bad. But once you, or maybe you say, oh, that's way too much, right? People shouldn't be paying that price in order to get a assistive device. But once you get multiple comparison points, once you get to like five to six devices, once you get to 11 devices, which I eventually came from, I was able to do things like compare different, compare the prices, or compare the battery life, or compare the weight in order to get a better sense of what are the current devices what what's kind of the standard what's kind of like the average between and i made different uh, let's say i made different charts and i made different graphs in order to compare them better in order to have a better sense of how each device compares against each other but i think at the end of the day that it is that comparison that helps me um make that evaluation at the end because without multiple comparison points it's really hard to determine if something is costly if something is cheap because these things are all relative it's hard to determine whether if something is objectively costly or objectively um, object- objectively cheap, or something if it's objectively light or objectively um, um, pretty heavy. So at the end of the day, it was ultimately really important to get these multiple comparison points, to look at multiple devices, to make sure that I am I am evaluating these things in a more correct way and ensuring that I'm not saying something is expensive, or well, let's say the 5,000 one is expensive, Well, and currently in the uh, the market, the other available ones are let's let's say like $10,000. So that would not be quite a fair comparison if I didn't look at these other devices. So yeah, I feel like the most important thing that I did was looking at these comparisons and making sure that I look at a variety of devices to do that comparison.
3: Yeah, this segment has just been so insightful. I mean, you've completely changed Mm -hmm. the way I think about um, assistive technology and also just technology and innovation in general. Um, and so I just loved being able to talk to you. And I agree, these devices are so crucial. Um, but unfortunately, we're out of time for this segment. But if you want to give out maybe a website or a social media or maybe a link to your research, I'm sure our listeners would love to explore um, this kind of technology some more. And thank you so much, by the way.
6: Yeah, no worries. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to speak on this platform. And I hope you guys did, learned a little bit more about these technologies because they're indeed quite important in society today. So, yeah. Thank you.
4: Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio.
5: If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at starurradio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen for our lifestyle show. Star Style, Be the Star You Are with our host Cynthia Bryan. Then on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Play with us at BeTheStarURradio.com and the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
4: A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN.
2: I'm your host, Turfi, and I'm here with my co-host, Julia. For this segment, we have yours truly talking about today's topic, which is about assistive devices for individuals with disabilities. Salutations from your local nerd extraordinaire. Well, I suppose that I shouldn't be saying that because today isn't quite nerd extraordinaire. Not quite. But nonetheless, today's segment is going to be interesting, and we're going to try our best not to deviate from the hamster wheel of staying on topic. Life is just like one big hamster wheel, but we just keep running, but never get anywhere. Sigh. Life is depressing. Speaking of staying on topic, which we are not doing, today's show is all about adaptive devices for people with disabilities. Ah, adaptive devices. Ah, assistive devices. Whatever you want to call them. In a world that's becoming increasingly interconnected and technologically advanced, it's essential that we find ways to ensure equal opportunities for individuals with disabilities. Assistive devices have emerged as game-changers, breaking down barriers and empowering people with disabilities to lead fulfilling lives. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the brave new world of assistive devices, where lives are transformed, limitations are shattered, and diversity is celebrated. Wow, there's a lot of passive voicing over there. My grammar teacher would be appalled. Hamster wheel, filthy. Hamster wheel. Now, it seems like assistive devices do a lot of big things, a lot of important things. And that, my friends, is precisely why we have to proliferate these devices and come up with more and more of them. This one little device, whether it be a mere secretion cushion or a whole audio system, can change life. We want to change lives. In, in the good way, of course, not in the bad way. From the quirky to the ingenious, assistive devices have revolutionized the way we perceive disabilities. In this segment, we're gonna go over the reasons why people need assistive devices, some of the conditions or disabilities that assistive devices are meant to overcome, and the effect these devices have on the way we perceive disabilities. Basically, a lot of stuff. Jeez, I can't believe I'm telling you that now, a good few minutes after this segment started. Why did I not say this at the beginning of the segment? I don't know, I'm weird. Anyway, moving on, staying on the hamster wheel, as you can already tell, I'm pretty bad at staying on the hamster wheel. Time to go into fancy talk mode. The necessity. Wow, you know it's serious when I start off with the word necessity. I don't know if it's just me, but necessity seems like a very fancy word. Maybe a little too fancy. Hamster wheel, Kilty. Stay on the hamster wheel. Let's get back to what we were talking about. The necessity of having to use an assistant device mainly revolves around your ability to perform these tasks, and these tasks are dubbed The ADLs, the activities of daily living, and the IADLs, the instrumental activities of daily living. ADLs are basically activities performed on a daily basis in order to live an independent life. ADLs include eating, personal hygiene, and mobility, which is basically your ability to get out of bed, walk independently, or move in any way. The IADLs are important for living independently, but they're not required to be performed on a daily basis. The IADLs include basic communication skills, chores, meal preparation, shopping, or even transportation. An inability to perform any of these tasks can require assistive technology. For example, an inability of mobility, which is one of our ADLs, could be someone who couldn't walk. So, you use a wheelchair, which is an assistive device, to help that person move around. There are two types of basic impairments mobility-slash-physical impairments and cognitive-slash-sensory impairments. These are like two basic groups. Mobility or physical impairments, ranging from simple back pain to epilepsy, mainly include disabilities that impair you in a more physical way from performing ADLs. And these diseases include stroke, cerebral palsy, arthritis, fibromyalgia, and more. Now, cognitive-slash-sensory impairments are disorders such as OCD, ADHD, PTSD, schizophrenia, and basically the more, for a lack of better word, internal disorders, like the more soft sciences kind of disorders that you need a therapist for. So, assistive devices are used for mobility impairments, and these assistive devices can include wheelchairs, as mentioned before, gait trainers, which, which is basically, it trains you with the way you walk. So if you have a problem with your gait, you have a problem with the way you walk. Then there's also crutches, there's scooters. Cognitive or sensory aids include braille printers, closed captioning, CC, eye tracking computer systems, voice-to-text typing software, and a lot of more techy stuff. Like augmentative and assistive communication systems, which are basically these little tablets that help people with cognitive disabilities to communicate. These are the interesting ones. See, a lot of these assistive devices, which are sorted into this cognitive, sensory category, are used to assist people who have trouble performing IADLs, but don't have trouble performing ADLs. Most of the mobility aids are for people who have trouble with ADLs, which is really important. But it is interesting to look into IADLs and how people have trouble performing these tasks, but don't have trouble performing ADLs. As mentioned before, IADLs, while not being Daily activities are essential for living a healthy and independent life. Of course, you're alive. You don't have any trouble performing any tasks that are essential for daily life. So what's the problem here? The problem is that you live in a world with other people. Surprise, surprise. I bet none of you know that we lived in a world with other people. By the way, that's sarcasm. Of course you knew that. We live in a world where we need to go to interact with other people and be a part of the community by performing IADLs, like transportation, or even managing our personal finances. However, most of these impairments, when considered independently from an inability to perform an ADL, are cognitive impairments. So it's fascinating to see the devices that treat these impairments, and this can include sip and puff systems. So sip and puff systems help people with sensory disabilities who have trouble operating switch-activated devices, such as computers and tablets. Operating switch-activated devices can fall under the IADL category. Rather than having to operate these switches, the person with this device merely has to sip or puff into a tube, and the device will turn the sip or puff into an electrical signal that goes to the device. Notice that this system can also help people who have cognitive disabilities that hinder communication, who need to use AACs, which we talked about before. The AAC systems are usually tablets or computers, and say that this person had a sensory disability that prevented them from operating the switches on the AAC system. This comes in handy to even use other assistive devices, which is why this is so important. Okay, I went off on a bit of a tangent there, went a bit off track. So let's go back to our general assistive devices. So there are also motor aids, which help people struggling with fine motor skills. So fine motor skills include like maybe tying a knot, like tying a knot in a piece of rope, or maybe like putting this Lego building together. Like it's basically fine motor skills. It's, sound, it's like how it sounds, your ability to move in a tiny way, for lack of a better word. Motor aids can include adaptive writing utensils, mechanical page turners, adjusted eating utensils, door on operators, and more. Okay, okay, let's, let's just take a moment to let all of that sink in. I'm sure all of you guys feel like I just took one ginormous bucket of inflammation and just dumped it on all of your heads. I'm sure your brains are flying up at this point because you're trying to think too much. Or maybe you're just really smart and you had no problem with that info dump I just beseeched upon you. Did I just say beseeched? Wow, I'm using a lot of fancy words today. Okay, back to the hamster wheel. More info dumping? Not exactly. To wrap up this segment and the show, let's talk about normalizing disabilities. Obviously, a disability means that you are unable to perform a basic task of life, whether it be an ADL or an IADL. Assistive devices help people with disabilities and have a similar life experience, as someone without a disability because it's not the fault that they're disabled, so they deserve to have a similar life experience. People shouldn't get fewer opportunities just because of something they can't control. Think of people with disabilities as superheroes. In this epic tale of superheroes, our protagonists don't wield capes or masks. Instead, they sport dazzling wheelchairs, healing aids, prosthetic limbs, and more. These extraordinarily assistive devices have taken the mundane and transformed it into the extraordinary. Assistive devices have become the ultimate symbol of empowerment, breaking down barriers, and challenging societal norms. Forget the notion that disabilities limit possibilities. With the right assistive device, anything becomes achievable. Remember, assistive devices aren't just objects. They're symbols of unity and resilience. These quirky and compelling creations have not only transformed the lives of people with disabilities, but have also reshaped the way society perceives ability and normalcy. So let's celebrate the diversity, embrace the laughter, and continue to innovate, making the world a more inclusive and enchanting place for all. Use your new assistive device superpowers to conquer the world!
3: We're out of time for today's show, but as always, we express our gratitude to StarSell Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star UR, and our Voice America Empowerment Crew, especially our audio engineer, Andrew. Thanks to our guests from across the world, and a huge thank you to our listeners for making us a top-rated program. For more information about Be The Star UR charity, visit www.betthestarur.org. Find us on Instagram at Express Yourself Radio, empowering all abilities, making our lives better. Always remember to speak up, speak out, and express yourself.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. Just...